The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city. And let him who is armed advance before the ark. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before and the priests blew the trumpets and the rear guard came in the ark while the priests continued to blow. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came to the camp and lodged there. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark, went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark, and the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh, when they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, on that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened. When the priest blew the trumpet, then Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasures of the people." So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpet, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, the ox, the sheep, 
and the donkey with the edge of the sword. And skip down to verse 27. The Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. We thank you so much for Amy's testimony. And Jesus, for the precious power of Jesus to save and to heal and to set free. Now, Lord, we ask today that you might come and speak your words to our hearts today, that that is on your heart you might share with us, and that, Lord, some of us would know the tremendous freedom of seeing the Jericho walls come down, and that things we've labored with and dealt with for years, that, God, you would move in and do what only Jesus Christ can do, that you would set your people free. Thank you, Lord, and we wait expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been looking at scripture the past few weeks, and we've come to last uh, to see what the Lord Jesus has done in the lives of the people of Israel. Remember when he took them out of Egypt and got them out of slavery. And then we see where he brought them to the, they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they weren't willing to go into the promised land. Then we looked a couple weeks ago and they went through and the Jordan parted and they passed through and they were willing to go through the Jordan to the other side and God set them, gave them, parted the rivers and they got to the other side. Remember two weeks ago when we met and we talked about what was in chapter 5. They get to the other side of the river. They're actually in the promised land. And what happens? They, they have, they, God has them go through the ceremony of circumcision. And their hearts are, are have to be cleansed from every known sin. And they have to be identified as the people of God. So that the, the, all the males had to submit to the knife. So once again, it's that we have to deal with the issue of sin in our lives if we are going to go on into the deep things of God and go on to the promised land. We cannot be God's people. Can, God cannot use us the way he wants to use us until every bit of sin is dealt with. We have to turn over every key. We cannot have anything that we are coddling in the innermost part of our heart. As much as we know, in the light of the Holy Spirit, in the searchlight of the Holy Spirit, we need to allow God to deal with sin in our heart. And that circumcision was a symbol of God's using the knife to do, to do a mark of the covenant in the very flesh of every Israelite male that they belonged to God and that they had dealt with this, the sin in their life. So that you and I must deal with the sin in our life. We have to come clean. Then after they had the ceremony of circumcision, remember how they celebrated the Passover. Here they are, Jericho's right here, and they are having a party. And so it's like you have to deal with the sin in our lives. Once we deal with the sin in our lives, are willing to go through Jordan, then Jesus says, you are to feed on my faithfulness. You are to feed on me. And so they, they had the, the Passover, and they fed on the lamb, the Passover lamb, which was symbolic of the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If you and I are going to go on to the deep things of God, we need to learn how to feed on Jesus himself. And we need to get sustenance and nourishment from the Lord Jesus, just as much as we need to go to the table three times a day and, and eat 
so that we can live physically. Even so, we need to feed on Jesus on a daily basis through his word so that you and I have strength of character and soul and spiritual nourishment to be able to go on into the promised land. Then the last thing in chapter 5, remember we met, Joshua met the commander of the armed forces. He thought he was in charge, but the Lord came to him and said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, and if you're going in to conquer the Jerichos that are waiting for you in the promised land, you have got to know who is in charge, and there's a wimp in this relationship, and it's not God. <laughs> Have you ever been to the ocean? I remember one time I was just feeling like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't quite understand. And I went to the ocean, and I looked at the ocean, and I, Jesus said, Beth, there's a wimp in this relationship, and it's not me. <laughs> and that's the truth, to let us know that even though we move into the promised land, it is not you and I that have to move the mountains. It is only God that can move the mountains. And so he has that encounter with the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, in chapter 5 so that Joshua is aware that as he goes on into the deep things of God to claim this territory for the people of Israel to possess the land that God had given him that, and given the people of Israel that it was God and God alone that could do it. So then we get to Jer Jericho 6. Now, I think many times it surprises us as the people of God when we've dealt with sin in our life, when we've begun to really identify ourselves with the people of God, and we begin to feed on Jesus Christ in our daily quiet time, and Jesus begins to be the love of our hearts so that our quiet time passes from being a drudgery to being the delight of our hearts. Just like when you and I start piano practice, you know how you plunk out your kids do and how awful it sounds, and there passes the day we just keep plunking out. That's what you're doing, some of you, in your quiet time. It's about as inspirational as your child doing piano lessons. But, and I'm sure it is to God a little bit like that. But there comes a day, if you and I keep persevering and persevering, we can move into the realm that Jan's moved into, where she's practiced and practiced and practiced until it isn't any effort anymore. There's the flow of her soul over the keys. And that's where God wants to get us, that we begin to feed on him and feed on him and feed on him till the flow of God flows over our life, in our life, out of our life. So as that happens, you will not be surprised then that God brings in a Jericho because I think God is wanting the people of our Bible study to get to a place that we do not live below our privileges. And if we've got squeaky clean hearts, we're beginning to seek God daily, on a daily basis, recognize that he and he alone is the Lord of our lives and he can tear down the strongholds, that God will begin to lay some strongholds on your heart. And what is the characteristic of Jericho? It was shut. It was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. And no one went out and no one came in. And God said to Joshua, he said, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, I think God is saying to us that some of us have some Jerichos that we need to deal with even in our life as we go on into a deeper measure of the sanctified life. I think there are some that are inside who we are, and I think there's some that are outside who we are. 
And that God wants us to come to the place that we say, Lord, this is a temperament thing that I've had, or this is something I've struggled with in my life for all my life as far as I can remember. And God has brought us to this place of going through the Jordan so that God says, now is the time that you can deal with it. Now is the time that not you. I can deal with it and begin to remove this Jericho that is at the very essence sometimes of who you are. Do any of you have any personal Jerichos inside you? That just when you get under pressure and stress that it surfaces? That you and I need God to deal with and set us free at that point? Do have any of us got some things that we labor with and we've struggled with and we've carried and we've tried to get over and we've tried to get set free but we have not gotten set free? Jesus, I think today is saying to us, say, if you are willing for all that I have, I can move you into a place if you will recognize that I am the only one that can set you free and I can heal that broken part in who you are. You know, there's some things that are taught. The great lessons in life come from your children. And I, just this week, I was with my two teenagers. And I thought, and, and God spoke to me through their lives. Do you know what I think some of the things are that God says to us that you and I battle with that we think are not necessarily wrong, but they may be crippling? One is, do you know how, God, how the enemy comes to, remember how you felt when you were 13, 14, and 15? You know, oh, I'm so ugly. Or only if my legs were different. Or only if I had a different nose. Or only if my hair would curl. Or if it's curly, only if it were straight. Or why did God give me this background? Or why did God do this? And remember all those things from back from that time? Well, I think God is saying to us as women today, some of the things, those low self-esteem things that we struggle with and struggle with and struggle with, we need to take God's view of who we are and appropriate how he made us. Do you know why I think God gave us different faces, different noses, different mouths, different ears, different hair? Because he just didn't want cookie cutters. I need one. I need one that will love me as only she can love me. And I don't want to just give everybody the same. And there's something about you that is so unique, so precious, so sweet to the heart of God. He does not want to train one thing about you except the sin in our lives. And he wants to just enhance and let you be become the most beautiful woman that he made you to be. And that's why he doesn't have everybody the same. God wants you and God wants me. And we do ourselves a grave injustice and old Slewfoot is there every single moment to say, well, you'd really be special if you were like so-and-so. Or you're just too big. Or I'm just too little. Or if I were only taller, or if I were only shorter, or if I were only skinnier, or if I were only fatter. And I think there comes into our lives a discontent. I just reread that in the end of Deuteronomy. And you know what? They, he led them out, and you go over in the end all through the wilderness wanderings, however God, whatever circumstance God put them in, if he was feeding them with quail, they weren't happy. He fed them with manna, they weren't happy. If he gave them water, they weren't happy. If he took care of them, they weren't happy. He didn't put them in the wilderness. They had put themselves in the wilderness. And whatever he did for them, they were still unhappy. And do you know what I think God is saying to us? Whatever your circumstances, is there anyone down there today who will accept who I have made you, how I have made you? Will you accept your situation? And would you just stop complaining and praise, 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 
praise, praise me. And just fall in love with Jesus and come to grips with soberly thinking about who we are in him. And begin to say, Jesus, thank you for how you made me. Make me the best me for you I can be. And let him move us into an acceptance of who we are in him. I think that's a stronghold that paralyzes the church of God and especially paralyzes women. Well, I couldn't do that. I'm not gifted that way. Well, I can't speak. I can't sing. I'm not very organized. I'm not. I'm not. And so we limp along when God says, let me. No, you're not. All I need is who you are and your availability, your clean heart. And then just let me flow my spirit through you. And all things are possible to him who loves me because I can do it. I just need someone available. And I think we just need to thank Jesus. Now, I have a secret, and I shared this with my teens this week. I said, every time the enemy comes to say, oh, you're ugly, or you're not right, right, or you're, you're just as dumb as can be, or all those things, take that as a sign and think, aha, that does not come from my loving Heavenly Father. That comes from Slewfoot, from the devil. And just say, I resist that in the name of Jesus. And I nestle closer to the heart of God and begin to say, thank you, Jesus, for how you made me. Thank you that you made me smart. Thank you that I have just what I need for what you're going to do with my life. Not a thing more, not a thing less. Thank you, Jesus, and get to the heart of God as close as you can get. And do you know what? I think the harassment from the enemy will stop. Because he's not going to have us under his thumb anymore. Those things that he's held us in bondage with, we're going to be running to the heart of God and getting closer. And he's going to stop because what he says, I'm not going to try that trick again. She just gets closer to Jesus. And I think we need to stand in the gap there and say, no, I will resist this. No, I am not going to listen to his lies. No, I am going to make myself available to his spirit. And out of my heart, I am going to begin to praise him. Praise him for what he is doing. Then the second thing are outside circumstances. Are there situations in your life that seem hopeless? Are you in a marriage that seems so difficult you wish you could leave? Are you in family relationships that are so difficult that they break your heart on a daily basis? Are you dealing with a teenager or a child that has reading difficulties or is, uh, has ADD or is, is suffering with severe illness? Are you dealing in other areas of life with one that's rebellious? Are there things, are you unappreciated and unaccepted at work? Have you been rejected? Are there, there are strongholds and Jerichos in your life that keep you defeated and keep you down and keep you burdened? You know what God says? I want to take those strongholds and those Jerichos and I want to set you free. So that no longer do they mock you and mock me and baffle us because they won't seem to go away no matter what we do, but that we will take them and God will begin to use them in our lives for our good and his glory. Do you know what I think one of the secrets is? One of the secrets is to recognize Everyone right now, as we just think, what is the Jericho outside ourself that continues to baffle and frustrate and hurt us? 
And do you know why I think God had Israel go around it 13 times? He went around Jericho 13 times, the whole people of Israel. Because I think it gave them a, re a reality check that they were absolutely unable to conquer Jericho. The only way it was ever going to be conquered was if there was divine intervention from the eternal God. And do you know, I think sometimes the strongholds in my life haven't gone down and the strongholds don't go down because I keep trying to help God out. You know, I'll pray him out, I'll shout him out, I'll just let me uh, beat him out, let me yell him out, let me cry him out, let me manipulate him out, let me do, oh, anything I can do, but I've just got, you know, because I'm not sure God's quite able to handle this. This is such a big situation. And do you know what keeps happening? Nothing. It just looms there. And when we walk around it 13 times and the reality finally comes that everything I've done about this situation has amounted to nothing. It still stands there in all its glory mocking me. I Then, then and only then is God able to begin to work. Because we have to come to the place that we come to the end of all our resources and say, God, if this is ever going to move, the walls are ever going to come down, you and you alone are going to be responsible. I can do nothing. Same situation in Acts 12. Remember our very first week? Peter in prison, the church had no way to sneak him out, no way to drag him out, no way to get him out. The bars were locked. He was in the inner dungeon. There was absolutely no earthly way to get Peter out of prison. And there's absolutely no earthly way for us to bring down Jericho walls. And when we come to that realization that we say, you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are able to bring down these walls, I cease from all my self-effort. I hold on to you. That the secret begins to come, that we begin to get into a place where God can begin to move. Thirteen times around those walls. And there was a sense of they could not do anything. God does not need my successful help. God counts on my failure. Isn't that free? He just doesn't, we don't have to help him or do well or succeed because the work of God is not done by you or by me in our self-effort. The work of God is done by his Holy Spirit as we are clean vessels available to be used. And so they march around 13 times. And the next thing that's very difficult the first test that we realize is that there's nothing we can do to move a Jericho, only God. The second thing is, he asks them to be silent and march around Jericho. That may have been the hardest thing he asked them to do. And they may not have known all the big picture of what God was doing. They may have only known part of the picture. Because Joshua, God told Joshua the game plan, but there, we don't know if all of Israel knew what was going to happen every day and that at seven days the wall would. 
Uh, we do know is that every day he came and Joshua said, this, these are the instructions for the day. Just march. Just march. And march in silence. And march in silence. Now, I think that's the key. Do you know what? When, that, when we face Jericho Wall's difficult circumstances, the hardest thing in the world is to go to God. The easiest thing in the world is to talk to my best friend, my neighbor, my husband, my mom, this one, that one, and the other one. And as a very, very last resort, we come to God. And what God is looking for is that we recognize the problem's too big, and then we recognize that no one else can meet that problem, no matter how much I talk, but only God. And that as we recognize that God alone can meet it, and we bring it to him, and don't share it with just everybody trying to get relief for our pain, but bring it to God and share it with God, God's spirit becomes free to work. And the people of Israel didn't necessarily know what was happening on, a on an overall plan, but there was something that was very reassuring in this chapter. The soldiers went ahead, the priests came with a ram's horn, and the priests were bearing what? The Ark of the Covenant. Eleven times in one little chapter, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. What is the Ark of the Covenant a symbol of? The living presence of God. So that what was going around the, with them, even though they didn't quite comprehend what God was doing, was a symbol that God's presence was with them. And as they marched around that, Jericho, uh, that stronghold of Jericho, that the living presence of God was going with them. And they were not alone. I remember yesterday in prayer meeting, we had a time, Rita read from Edith Schaefer. And I reread last night a little bit of how Labrie was started. Labrie was a fellowship that was formed, especially for college and university students and, and inquirers as to what it meant to be a Christian. And it was a, a retreat center that was established in Switzerland and still goes on in their Labrie fellowships all over the world. But the family that God raised up for this ministry were Edith and Francis and Edith Schaefer, and they had three children. And they, God called them, they had a pastorate in the United States, and God called them to go to Europe after the Second World War. And so they went to Europe, thinking, and they went and they worked like in child evangelism. They went and worked with children, and they lived in a certain canton in Switzerland. God was blessing their work, not in a powerful way, but he was blessing and opening, and they were being faithful. They were living by faith, trusting him. They came home on furlough and went back, thinking they would keep on in the same ministry. But as they went back in obedience, like many of you have come to Wilmore in obedience, You've come to Wilmore to seek God, to get God's mind. They went back in obedience. And instead of having a wide open plain that they just marched in of, of happy service for God, they began to meet obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. So that they, Jericho after Jericho after Jericho. 
they got back and they got an announcement that they needed to leave their village, the place where they were working, that the people were throwing them out of that province of Switzerland. They, got, uh, they went through an avalanche. They went through a flood. The sun came down with polio. One day he was walking across the room and he began to scream and say, I can't walk, I can't walk. He was smitten with polio. Another, t they got him so that she was doing hot baths with him and trying to get, take care of him. And the little girl came in and she said, I hurt, I hurt. And she had rheumatic fever. And then they were forced to leave their house. You talk about a pressure cooker of a life. They began to go forward with God and what happened? The rug was pulled out on every side. And in the middle of it, they didn't have the finances needed. They said, now, God, where do we go? We know we're called here, but now what do we do and where do we go? So she goes, he lost heart temporarily. And so she said, well, I better go look for us another place. And another province said, maybe you could live here. But they had a certain time limit, a deadline where they had to go to be able to move and get out of their province and move into this one or they'd have to go back to the United States. It got down to the 24-hour mark. And he was home with the sick children. She was out and looking in this other province to find a home. She met a lady on the train. The lady went into labor. She had no one to help her deliver and Edith Schaefer spent all night in the hospital with this woman while she delivered a baby that died the only baby they ever were able to have and she was with her and she kept saying father we're thrown out of the country in six hours five hours four hours you have forgotten us I do not understand what you're doing but she stayed with the lady till they got her situated and a stranger she hadn't even known till 24 hours before but became a lifelong friend you can imagine and then she said now Jesus what do we do and so she went and saw for sale sign and looked at nothing. And then she came to the end of her rope. She said, all right, all our hopes, all our dreams, I give to you. I've tried it all. And if it means back to America, to that pastorate, even though we believe, God, you've laid Europe on our heart, we do not understand what you're doing. But Jesus, we choose you and your will be done. But I can do nothing else. And she was stumbling to the bus station to get on the bus to head back to Fran and evidently leave Switzerland. And a real estate man that had helped her came by and he said, Miss Schaefer, I may have a house. And they drove up the mountain to a chalet and it was Libri where they ended up their ministry. But do you know what happened? They moved, got all those sick children, everybody got out, got to the place, and then they had nothing there, no work. They'd had to leave all their work. And they said, now God, what? We're all moved in here, but we don't know what we're supposed to do. And God said, you know what I think Jesus is saying today? I think Jesus is saying that he would like us to come to the place where we would get hold of him for the Jerichos in our life. And the ultimate secret is recognize there's nothing we can do. Recognize we need to go to him. 
we came to come to the end of our resources and when we don't understand what he's doing in our lives we need to praise him anyway and the very thing that looms the most painful in our life may be the thing that God, God's sweetest love gift to us because he is doing something in our hearts that he could not do any other way. It at least gets our attention. But then what do you do with the Jerichos and when we've come to that place of brokenness before him? I have an answer. We pray. We say, Father, not my will, but thine be done, just like the Lord Jesus did. We say, Lord, whatever it takes at any price. And then we say, Lord, I will not interfere in what's your business, but Lord, I will hold on to you in faith believing with joy in my heart holding on to you that, Lord, you will bring down these walls of Jericho and you will restore that that is rightfully yours. And do you know what I believe? God is interested in some women who will pay the price in intercessory prayer that the strongholds in our own lives will come down and the strongholds in the lives of others will come down and the strongholds in our society will come down. And they do not come down because we're not effective in prayer because we've never dealt with sin all the way. They do not come down because we are not effective because we share it with everyone else and we don't come and pay the price to share it with God. They do not come down because we have our own agenda of how we want God to bring them down. And if God doesn't work that way, we get peevish and out of sorts with him. And we just say, I'm taking my ball and going home, God. This is not what I expected. Instead of hanging in there until God is able to do his work in me first so that out of that work he can accomplish what he wants, is, wants in the lives of others and in society at large. What is the Jericho in your life? Are you and I in prayer? Are you and I holding on to him? Are you and I willing to pay the price? Remember the story of Monica? How she held on for Augustine to get saved? And she prayed twice a day at the church and wept bitter tears. And it got worse and worse, but she would not let go. And 15 years she held on, and God gave her Augustine's soul. And eight months later, she went to heaven. I think God's looking for those of us who will get into the position and then just say, like the Syrophoenician woman, remember in Luke, that she had the little demon-possessed daughter. And she, Jesus went into Tyre and Sidon. He was trying to get away from the crowd, and the little Syrophoenician woman came and said, Jesus, I have a daughter that's demon-possessed, and she needs to be made whole. And Jesus gave her a hard time. He said, well, I've just come to the house of Israel. She said, oh, I know. She said, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And there was no intention in her heart of leaving Jesus. She just was going to hold on. Her daughter was sick, and she wasn't going to let go till God intervened. And there are only two people in the New Testament Jesus commends for their faith, 
One of them is the Syrophoenician and the other is the Centurion. They were both Gentiles. And I think God is looking for some women today who say, I will hold on to you, Jesus, and I will not let go until you begin to bring, move into my family's life, into my life, into our situation, into our home, and you set us free so that these strongholds are torn down, never to rise again, and that the Spirit of Jesus can be released. And that we go in and conquer the promised land, not in our own strength, but through the blood of the Lamb of God who goes before. Remember in the book, The Body by Jack Colson, the beautiful story in the second chapter of the, where it talks about the, the city in Romania. Um, and there was a Hungarian-Romanian pastor after the Second World War, they divided Hungary up, and there were, they said, this is Hungary, and part of Hungary, they put two million refugees in all the different lands around, and there were, so they were, there was a Hungarian community in Romania, and this man was a Hungarian pastor, and his name was Tokes. And he began to preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Well, the communists were still in power, and they were not happy campers. And they began to harass him and beat him up and interrogate him. And then the church kept preaching the word, and then the church kept growing, and it kept growing. Well, then they got so they stationed the guard outside, and so they'd have a machine gun, a whole battery of soldiers outside the church with machine guns. So if you came to church, you literally risk your life to enter the church. The people kept on coming. And they kept on coming, and they kept on coming to church. Well, one day it came that they said, um, we're going to take you and your wife. And this Friday, we're taking you under house arrest. They told him ahead of time. So he called his people together. And he said, they're coming to get us this Friday under house arrest to take us out of the house and arrest us. And he said, I wish some of you would come and pray. And just station a wall around our home and pray that God will give us strength for that that awaits us. And the people rallied in an incredible way and stood outside the Tokes Parsonage. Well, it was the church and they lived above it. And there was a whole, the people came. Well, they were right on a main thoroughfare where all the buses and the subway would get off. So people would come and say, what is all this? And they said, well, they're coming to take the Hungarian pastor because uh, they, they're not happy, the authorities. And so their people are praying outside his, his home and outside the church. Well, the people from the subways just came, and the Catholics came, and the Baptists came, and non-Christians came, and they just were, So when the authorities came to get him, there was this whole big avalanche of people singing praises, praying, and waiting outside the home. Well, they didn't know what to do. And so it got to be late afternoon, and then it got to be evening. And another pastor came, the Romanian pastor came. His name was Peter. And a young boy came up to him, and his name was Daniel Gavra. And he said, Pastor Peter, look what I've got. And he opened his his coat and the pastor was afraid he had a machine gun or something he opened his coat and he had a whole batch of candles 
And he said, Pastor, what if we give everyone a candle and just light the darkness with our candles? Oh, he said, that's good, Daniel. So they all joined together, and he passed out the candles and lit all the candles. And then Daniel and a little gal with him, it was a little Pentecostal gal. They joined hands, and a bunch of the teenagers and college kids joined hands and began to parade up and down the square of the Romanian town. And they lit the candles, and it was then that the communists got the order that said, we cannot disband them, shoot to kill. And the little gal that was on Daniel's one side dropped dead. And the next thing Daniel knew, he didn't have a left leg. And as he crumpled on the sidewalk and as the carnage hit, <laughs> they picked Daniel up and they got him to the hospital. But that was the 16th of December. And do you know it was the, pot, the, the candle that began the revolution. And by Christmas Day, the 25th day of December, they were saying in the square when Ceausescu came out, they were saying, remember Timasora, which was the name of the town. Remember Timasora. And Ceausescu was killed Christmas Day on the 25th. And Pastor Peter went to the church, to the hospital, to tell Peter what had happened. And Peter said, do you know what? I'm glad, I'm not sorry I lost my leg. I'd do it again because, Pastor, I was the one God used to light the first candle. And we didn't let go. We didn't give up, and the walls came down. And I think God is saying to us today as women, is there someone who will be as brave? And is there some of us who will say no matter what it costs? It costs a little Pentecostal gal her life. It cost the pastor his life. It cost him his beating up until they beat his face in. But he said, whatever it costs, I will not go. And that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And no man cometh unto him as lost. And that you and I need to come to the place where the passion of our souls is Jesus. And we say, Lord, I am not going to live with Satan anymore having his way in my heart, in my life, in my children, in my family, in my home, in my neighborhood. I am going to stand in the gap that some of these can find God and walk into newness of life. But you and I need to pay the price and be willing to light the light and not let it go out when it gets rough and when circumstances beat upon us and we say, oh God, where are you? I think you've forgotten me. But remember, no, he hasn't. In the darkest hour on Calvary, Jesus said, Father, Father, you have forgotten me. And he said, no, he was still there. And in that redemptive hour on the cross that Mary shared last week, God's redemption came to the world. In your darkest hour and in mine, let us not hold on, but just say, let us not let go. Let us hold on because redemption draweth nigh. The last word is God's. You know what I read last night before I went to bed? Revelation 20 and 21. 
and God is coming again. And there's going to be a day when the Lord Jesus comes back. And when this trumpet sound is heard, just as it was at Jericho, when they marched around, and every knee shall bow, Jesus is Lord. And you and I need to go up with him, and we need to be in a place where he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and lit little. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. This is not all there is. The best is yet to come. Let us ask God to stamp eternity on our souls so that we begin to see things from God's perspective and begin to invest in God's heart and begin to get God's mind and let the fire of God burn in our souls so that we can be like Daniel Gavra and say, oh, I do it again. I do it again. Pastor, God used me to light the first candle and I did not let go. Oh, Holy Ghost. Oh, dear Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father. We pray today you would do something in our hearts. Let us deal with all the sin in our lives that we coddle and let us get rid of it. Let us today cleanse and purify, sanctify our hearts so that, Lord, you could use our lives, white, hot hearts for God to be able to tear down the strongholds of Satan and that we would give ourselves to prayer, that we would give ourselves to intercede, that we would give ourselves to realize there is nothing that we can do. The only thing we can do is thank Jesus, praise Jesus, that he alone has the power to tear down the strongholds. And in praising him, that Jesus, you can bring down the walls of hell that surround and ensconce the world, Lord. Oh, God, we come against the enemy in the name of Jesus. We pray you would loose us from the power, his power, that, Lord, the things that he's used to harass us for years, that, Lord, they drive us closer to your heart. We would resist him, and that, Lord, we would just get closer to the heart of Jesus and that God you would use our lives Jesus that we would stand in the gap that our families, our children our husbands, our loved ones our neighbors, those that you've laid on our hearts that we are to bear even as we bore our physical children, that we are to bear to the heart of God until they know God personally and can stand on their own two feet. Lord make us women after God's own heart cleanse and purify our souls set us as a group of women on fire Jesus we pray do a new thing in our souls today and we just praise you Jesus we just praise you we praise you we praise you in Jesus name amen I just like to have you take a few minutes and make this room an altar make your chair an altar First of all, I'd like to ask that God would make you and I gut level honest. Is there any sin that he needs to deal with? Leave it here. And you may need a second witness. You may, may need someone to pray with you. Forgiveness, lust, whatever. Bitterness of spirit, resentment. Don't go out of this place with that sin in your heart. And then what is God saying to you? Is there any place you've suffered defeat in your life for years and years? Don't does suffer it anymore. 
Let God turn that thing around and draw you right to his heart so that every time you struggle with it, you just go straight to the heart of God and God begins to give you grace and strength for it. And then what is God laying on your heart and my heart for those that, that are in bound and he's wanting us to carry until those situations are changed, until that's, this is worked out, until God moves in with his freeing power and presence. And I just want you to take a minute right now and ask God, God, what are you saying to me? Not my neighbor, not my husband, not my best friend, but me. <laughs> 